I'm Christina May, the online pastor at World Harvest Church in Enid, Oklahoma. You're about to hear a spirit-filled message from our pastor. So grab your Bible, and if you're a coffee lover like me, grab a cup of coffee and get ready for a personal word that God has for you today. One thing that I love about uh, our church here is we've got a great preaching team. Today is my sabbatical Sunday, so I'm not preaching, so don't get disappointed in that. I'm excited about that because I always get refreshed in a time of, uh, of rest. How many of y'all know we all need rest? But today, one of our preaching team members, Kinsley Jordan, our worship pastor, is going to be bringing a tremendous word. Now, let me just prep you in this. I believe that the message that you're about to hear, I've heard Kinsley preach a lot of times, but today I believe is by far the best, uh, the most timely word that I've heard Kinsley bring. Not that his other messages have not been or not been uh, potent. That's what I was looking for, very potent and very powerful. But today, I believe it is a word and season for all of us. So get ready, get ready. But a little bit about Kinsley. He's not only a worship pastor, but Kinsley came into our lives back 12 years ago. So he's been with us here at World Harvest Church when the military brought him here, fresh out of the academy in Colorado Springs. Came in as a young student pilot there. Uh, 12 years ago, 2008. And I was just thinking about that this morning, and the Lord just kind of dropped this in my heart, and it's really, I'm already uh, writing a message for next Sunday in this Real Encounters. It's amazing because those of you that know me and my family know that 2008 was our year from hell. But you know, this is what I know. Even in the times of crisis, Jesus is there. And I talk a lot about 2008, about the bad, but the Lord just, just kind of just corrected me this morning when I asked Kinsley, when did he come? He said, 2008. I'm like, my goodness, the year from hell I had, the year of crisis I had, God showed up. God showed up in Kinsley Jordan, one of those. He stepped into our life. I love that. But Kinsley, he's a, a major in the Air Force. He's a T6 IP at the time. Uh, he has led the way over the last couple of years to rewrite the way that students are trained here, not only advanced Air Force base, but he has literally changed the Air Force from time this moving forward. They've innovated out there, bringing them up into the uh, technological times that we're in and utilizing that. He has led the way in that. He's also uh, more recently become a life coach and uh, is the host of the weekly Legacy podcast, uh, where he encourages many to fulfill their dreams and pursue their destiny. If if you're not a subscriber to the Legacy Podcast, I would encourage you to do that. We all need, this is what I've learned, a little Kinsley on our shoulder, just encouraging us along the way. This is a great way to do that. He's a man full of energy, a whole lot of passion, more than anything, he loves God with all of his heart. So would you help me welcome to stage our worship pastor, Kinsley Trigger Jordan. Thanks, Pastor. Um, man, it is so good to be with you guys. It, seriously. Of all the things that, uh, <laughs> what, a, what, a, what a powerful statement. Um, he caught, got me caught up and choked up first service when I realized it came in 2008 and it was such a terrible year. Um, and the, the, the power behind the reality that, that you can do a lot of things and you can serve a lot of roles in your life. But there's one role that I'm truly most passionate, hands down, not even comparable. It's Jesus. Amen. And that's such a trite thing to say in church. Be like, well, yeah, of course you're passionate about it. No, for real. For real. Like, there is nothing that excites me more than sharing the love and the hope of Jesus. Nothing. Of all the people and all the places I've had the chance to go, nothing excites me more than sharing the love and the hope of Jesus. Now, to clarify, I didn't say to share the religion of Jesus because I hate religion. 
Online, you know what I'm talking about. I hate religion because religion points the finger in your chest and says, well, you didn't do this and you need to say this. Religion crucified Jesus. Relationship saved me. Amen. So I'm excited about Jesus. And I'm just going to give you a warning. Our opening scripture, if you will, we're going to do a little stand up, sit down, fight, fight, fight. If you will, stand your feet because we're going to read the word of God real quick. Because honestly, just as pastor said, I know that I know that I know that I know this word is going to hit you between the eyes where it hurts because it's not from me. It's straight from God. And we're starting off in Revelations. Lock the doors. Don't let anybody out. I see you online. Don't you leave that kitchen. And you're saying to yourself, starting off in Revelation, Kinsley, what are you talking about? Yeah, 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 we are. So if you will, if you can throw up uh, our, our opening verse, it comes from, from Revelations chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. It says, I know you for your works and your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear evil. And you have tested those who have come as apostles and say that they're apostles, but they're not, and have found them liars, and you have persevered, and you have been patient, and you have labored in my name's sake. Sound familiar to anybody? You've labored in my name's sake and have not grown weary. Nevertheless, I do have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, how hard, how far and how hard you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, which is referring to your first love. Or else I will come quickly and remove the lampstand from its place unless you repent. God, we need to hear your voice. We don't need to hear me. Nobody needs to hear me. We need to hear you. Jesus, may the word come forth with power today in our heart. May we open our hearts. May we open our minds. May we open our spirits to be able to receive correction if we need it, to receive the hope that we need, to receive the power. God, thank you that you're moving in our lives today. In Jesus' name we prayed. We all said together, amen. Amen. Okay, okay. So this is the sit down, fight, fight, fight part. Okay, good. You can have a seat. You know me, if you've ever heard me bring a message before, you know I tend to say unpopular things and then try, then, then you know, I say unpopular things. I'm just, I'll say things that you're going to be like, hmm, I'm not sure, I like that. And that's okay. That's, I know what that is. But, you know, when you're talking about revelations in chapter two, you better be able to make a good transition into how it's applicable to your life and just say, instead of just saying, repent. Like, that's not a good opening to church most of the time. <laughs> But I don't know about you, if there's ever been a year in my life that I feel like, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. Just please stop everything that's happening. Now would be the year. Like we started off with Australia being on fire. A whole continent being on fire. And then we, we get this little thing called Corona, which apparently a beer company didn't like the name of it, so we changed it to COVID-19. Yeah, you're getting it now. Thank you. Oh, my God. There we go. We get this little thing called COVID-19, and then you throw in a little bit of political nonsense. Pick your side, don't care, it's all wrong. And then while we're at it, why, we don't, why don't we burn down another continent and throw some fires in California 
and throw some fires in Colorado. And if it's just not enough, why don't we let the family of hurricanes just come on down the Atlantic? All five of them, mother, brother, sister, uncle, they even got the extended family coming down in hurricanes. I mean, this, if there's ever a year that makes you want to go, God, I'm so sorry, just stop it. Now would be the year. This will be it. And, he, and here's my statement that is going to be unpopular, so you can go ahead and get your tomatoes ready to throw at me. Um, you can just throw them that direction. But I'm going to make the statement <clears throat> that we have been affected by the effects of an infection. Okay, for you public education people like myself in Kansas, let's have a grammar lesson first because I had to do this for myself. There's a lot of effects going on in that, right? There's infest, to be infected. There's affect, and then there's effect. And if you're anything like me, I've never known the difference until I had to look at the language, and thank you, Google. Google taught me. Siri led me astray. She's a liar. But Google taught me right. If your name is Siri, I'm so sorry. World Harvest Church does not support that statement. But the word infect means this. It says to affect an object, object with a disease or causing organism. Now, affect, with an A, A-F-F-E-C-T, affect is a verb. And it means touch, to touch the feeling of someone, to move emotionally. Got it? Effect, with an E, is a noun. Thank you. We got a teacher somewhere. I got it right. Good. We're doing well. Effect is, is a noun. It says a change which is a result or consequence of an action or other cause. So, I, I, you know, at 11 o'clock at night, I realized this, um, that it's like this. In marriage, if you, show, if you have affection with your spouse, it can cause an effect. You know what I'm talking about? Can I get an amen? Amen. God is good. And on the, on the whatever day he created love, I'm just, there's effect. And if you have an affection with somebody, there's an effect that happens. But it's so interesting because, you know, you think about COVID-19 and everything that's happened with COVID-19. You would think that based on the numbers and statistics, we would all be like dropped dead by this point. You know? In fact, as I was looking at, thank you. There's a, mm-hmm. Yep. In fact, when you look at the numbers from the CDC, I literally just pulled them to make sure that I wasn't, you know, off in left field or right field, whatever field you like to be in. Um, that I pulled the numbers, that the, the number is 174,000 affected out of 100,000. Isn't it? Yeah. So it comes down to essentially 0.0017%. But real quick show of hands. How many lives, how many people's lives in here have been affected by COVID-19. Y'all are liars. There, I'm going to ask this one more time. How many of you have been affected by COVID-19? Okay, some people are starting to tell the truth. If, if you're going to throw me that holy roller spiel and say, well, God's protecting me. I haven't, been, I haven't been protected. Come on, man. Everybody's been affected by COVID-19. Everybody. You want to travel to, to Mexico? Good luck. Not going today. You want to go to the store, go to Old Navy to try to find a pair of jeans at 10 o'clock at night? Mm-mm, hours been cut. You want to walk into a store down in Oklahoma City? You better have a mask. And I, I, don't, I don't want you to, to misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not, I'm not saying, well, COVID-19 is fake. I'm not saying that. 
I'm not saying there's not a reason for masks. All I'm saying is that out of a 0.0017% infection rate, it has a 100% effective rate. It is good. Out of this room, out of the 250 some people that are in this room, and all of the, you know, 100 people that are online with us, that means that half of a person is infected. You pick what half, I don't care. <laughs> Top, bottom, left, right. Somebody's got something. A half of a person is infected, but yet we all are living affected by it. It's so interesting. You know, as part of the, um, during March timeframe, I got asked to be uh, one of the technical leads on a task force, which ended up turn, turning out to be um, the White House's uh, the White House Industrial Portal for, COVID, for the fight against COVID-19. And our job was one of eight tech leads, and we led a virtual team. We had about 60 people that we had to Zoom, FaceTime with. It was wonderful. But our job was industry. Our president said, listen, we have to find an answer. So the White House requested that all, any company, any logistical train, anybody that has something that they think would help with the fight against, the fight against COVID, either to prevent the spread, to create uh, 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 PPE, which is protective equipment, to be able to help in the logistical train. If you got anything you think will help, send that information and our team will vet it. Well, I was that team. I was one of that team members. We had 4,500 submissions. And my specific job, my team's job was to look through to prevent the spread of COVID. To look through all 4,500 submissions from, from technology to biological uh, uh, biological, um, biological capabilities to uh, uh, personnel to logistics to look through all of those and find a potential solution. And in 30 days, a team of 60 people went through all 4,500 of those submissions and determined there was technology out there that would help to identify and let other people know if you've been around somebody who had COVID or if you were next to somebody in the same area that had COVID. Now, don't get me wrong, for all of you conspiracy theorists, I I'll say this statement because I'm talking to myself as well. Um, Technology can be scary. What God has meant for good. Okay, I'll talk to you. What God has meant for good, the enemy will try to use it for evil. Now, I'm not saying that government is against you. I'm not saying that they're trying to do anything. All I'm simply saying is that when you're looking for these technical, biological capabilities to be able to help the limit and the spread of something, there's some questions that start getting asked. Should we be doing this? But what we eventually found was there capa was capability that if people opted in and said, yes, I want to be notified, they would have the ability to do that, um, then they, they, you would be able to find it and find out. In fact, if you download the new iOS application uh, on, your, uh, on your iPhone, if you have an iPhone, it's there. You can opt in or opt out if you choose to. But the thing, is, the thing that amazed me about that was, was not, <laughs> it was not the technology, it wasn't the capability, it was this. It was that an entire world an entire nation, not arguably, I'll go ahead and say it, the greatest, most powerful nation in the history of the world mobilized itself to do everything they can to try to find a solution to a microscopic thing you'll never see. Everybody, every industry, our international partners were on board. This isn't, this isn't just a fight against an enemy that doesn't like you. This is a fight for survival amongst countries. And you know what amazes me out of that? This isn't the first time we've seen a pandemic. 
You know, an entire world mobilizes to be able to, to make this impact, right? An entire world mobilizes at an infection rate of 0.0017%. But what happens when we ignore the 55% some, uh, suicide rate that is happening in some sectors of society? What about sex trafficking that, 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 that there are uh, streaming services that I hope get shut down unless they pull something? I'm not going to say anything, Netflix. But if I hope some things get shut down, I hope they do. Because it is disgusting to me that somebody would show something on a screen glorifying what some people are sitting in prisons and, and slaves, sex slaves in countries, and we're glorifying it. What about that percentage? And we want to defend it? I mean, the world is really quick to justify what it wants to rally around. But you know what? When you're thinking about pandemics, let's, get, let's look at the numbers, huh? You don't like what I'm saying? That's fine. Let's go objectively and talk about the numbers. So the Black Plague. Ever heard of that little guy? Bubonic Plague? Thank you, mice. Mm-hmm. The year is 1346 to 1353, the death toll 200 million people dead. The Spanish flu in 1918 to 1920, 50 million people dead. I mean, at that point, we didn't even have technology to rally ourselves together. It was just kind of like fend for yourself and, and, and hope the Black Plague didn't you know, come running in on in a little rat. COVID-19, 957,000 deaths across the world. Now, I don't say that to belittle what COVID-19 is. I don't, I don't want you to, to mistake that. I'm simply making the point that there are a lot of pandemics that has happened, but of all the pandemics that have ever gone across the face of the earth, there is one, the biggest pandemic that has ever hit humanity is not even talked about. You want to hear numbers? Oh, girl, I got some numbers for you. The year is 1910. The number of people affected and affected 600 million. Let's fast forward to 2010. The number is 2.3 billion, with a B, b -b 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 billion people affected and infected by this other pandemic. Billion. And the estimates are that in 2050, 15, or 2050, 2050, the estimate is going to go to that an additional 2.9 billion people will be impacted by this next pandemic, by this pandemic that has been going on. You know, it amazes me that we can mobilize ourselves the entire world, every economic facet, we can, you know, oh, I forgot to mention, by the way, the market crashed during this year. Anybody notice that? Okay, I forgot to mention that earlier. We can mobilize everything we have. Every material, every logistical train, every pharmaceutical company. We can mobilize everything that we can possibly do for one microscopic, nanoscopic disease that 0.0017% of us may potentially, possibly, could be infected by. 
that as Christians, we won't mobilize ourselves to share the affection of the king that has the ability to affect everybody in the world. I mean, we're talking about a world that is losing their mind because you got a 0.0017% chance of being affected. And everything, everything's just gone up, everybody's lost their mind. But then we totally ignore the pandemic. You know what that pandemic was? That it was 2.3 billion people? The gospel of Jesus. That pandemic has been going on for 2,000 years. The Romans tried to crush it because they thought we were like cockroaches. The communists will continue to try to put us in jails. Socialism will continue to try to tell us that the best way to be able to is just make sure that you silence yourself so everybody has the same voice. And it's not that I'm saying that everybody shouldn't have a fair shot. They absolutely should. What I am saying is that when, when there is transformation that happens in the name of Jesus, everyone is affected by it. Everyone. I'm not, I'm not discrediting COVID's ability. I'm not saying COVID doesn't exist. Just keep your hate. I don't care. I'm not saying that, that COVID hasn't impacted people. I'm not saying that, that COVID has not, people have not mourned the loss and seen loved ones die on the other side of a room that they couldn't go into. I'm not saying that people haven't been heartbroken. All of us have been affected by an infection that is so minusculely small. All of us. And it's taught us one thing. There is power in contact. If there wasn't power in contact, we wouldn't be being told, sit six feet away from each other if you're, if you're in fear of being... And again, I'm not mocking it at all. I'm not mocking what it is. What I am saying is that I'm not undermining what has happened with COVID or what's taken place in families, but I am undermining its authority when it comes in contact with the army of believers who know that they believe in the king that has transformed everyone. That thing has no place in us at all. You know, if we would actually have a revelation of who we were in Christ, which by the end of the service, we're going to get it. But if we had a revelation of who we were in Christ, COVID would be gone tomorrow. And there's going to be people who be like, well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Well, you clearly don't have a revelation of who you are in Christ. And it will be done. And it will continue to be done. Because when we as believers get a realization and a revelation of who we are and who he has made us to be, COVID's nothing. You think heaven is walking around with six-foot space and masks on? Come on. Like, let's get real for a second. You think Jesus is walking around with like, hey, Peter, six feet, baby. Put your mask on. Mm-mm. That thing's got power over me. Actually, that's not what it says because last time I checked, it says that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And the last time I checked, COVID's got a name. You're starting to hear me now. Yeah, Philippians. Philippians says that. Philippians chapter 2, 9 through 11 says, Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. Shall I go on? Thank you, I will. The name that above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord in the heavens and on earth and beneath the earth. See, when you're made one, when you are transformed in Christ, 
You're made new, one with him. It's time that we get our focus off an infection. And I'm not saying we ignore it and walk around like a bunch of baboons just ignoring the, the rules that our land has given us. We got to. I mean, even the word says that, right? Given to Caesars, what is Caesars? Okay, fine. We'll obey the rules. That's, I don't have a problem with that. But what I do have a problem with is when we get more focused on the thing, the infection that is trying to draw the power away from us, when we get more focused on that instead of tapping into the power that has the ability to change everything, I got a problem with it. We got an issue with realizing who we are. And I ask this question, what happens to an army that has all of the power and all of the weapons to defeat the enemy but does nothing? What a useless army. Yeah, I said it. What a useless army. That somebody would have the power to overwhelmingly and without question conquer, defeat, and bring victory in every single battle. But instead, the army stays inside their tents and worries about putting band-aids on because they scrape their knee. I'm not undermining what COVID is. I'm undermining its power to the name of Jesus. When you are transformed, when you have a king that changes everything about you, it affects everyone. Everyone. We've seen, it's amazing to me that the enemy would get so flagrant with his attacks that he would use what God created good, the contact of, of man to man, woman to woman, man to woman, this relational contact of which he created. It amazes me the enemy would get so bombastic to use that as a weapon against us. The funny thing is, and this is gonna be unpopular, don't care. He's had every right to do it because the army has sat idly by and done nothing. How can you get mad at the enemy when the enemy comes in, when your gates are open, your weapons are stored away, your horses are fat and not ready, and you're worried about putting a Band-Aid on? How can you get mad at the enemy when he simply uses the weapon that, that literally we gave him? Because when we don't realize that there is power in the one person, there is power in real contact. There is power when one person comes to know the affection of a loving Jesus, everybody's changed. And we're shocked the enemy would try to take that away from us? Come on. He has no new no tricks. He has nothing new. He just recycles it over and over and over like a, like a like a rerun. Be kind, rewind. That's what he does. Now I'm old. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 through 9, it says, But God still loved us with such great love and compassion that even when we were dead and doomed in our sins, he united us together in life with Christ and saved us in his wonderful grace. Look at this. He raised us up together with Christ and ex Christ the exalted one, and we ascended into the glorious perfection and authority of the heavenly realm. We. Let's have an English lesson. There is a difference between he and we. 
He is, is Pastor Brad Mendenhall. We are the pastoral staff. When we, the pastoral staff, go somewhere, we go together. So when, when God says that, that we ascended into heaven, what it means is that you sit with Christ and have the same authority and the power that Christ has. If you don't like it, then you're probably afraid of the authority he's given you. Wake up. If you don't like it, if you don't like and realize that God has given you authority, not because Kinsley says it, but because that's what the word says, that he said, we have ascended into the place of the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. We. There's power in we. There's power in contact. One infected person has the ability to infect everyone in this entire world in the year of 2020. What would happen if one person one person experienced the affection of Christ. Let's stop focusing on the infection and let's start focusing on the affection of Christ. We want to waste our time with, 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 with something that's going to help biologically or medically. Don't waste our time. How about we go to the one that literally wove you together in the womb and that calls all things into existence? Let's focus on the affection. And you can say, kids, I'm just one person. Like, what are you talking about? How in the world? Oh, oh, okay, all right. Well, don't believe me. That's fine. Nobody ever does. Until we open up the word, and you see it for yourself. So let's talk about a couple examples of the contact where one person changed something. You ever heard of a guy named Moses? Okay, all right. Did you know Moses basically was abandoned by his parents because somebody was trying to kill him? They threw him in a little bassinet, threw him in the water. Somebody picked him up downriver. He was raised in, in, in a kingship. In Egypt, he ended up killing somebody. Does this sound like high school to anybody right now? <laughs> he ended up killing somebody. He got scared, ran away because the cops were chasing him. He ran far away, decided, you know what? I'm not going to pay attention anymore. I'm just going to become a life of a farmer and a shepherd. And then one day he's walking on this mountain, taking care of his, his father's sheep. We're in Exodus chapter 3. And he sees a bush that is burning. And he says to himself, self, that seems odd, because the bush doth not burn. Pray tell, should we go and investigate? So he, he went and took a look at it, at the bush, and God saw him turn away, and he said to Moses, Moses. That's pretty good. I'll try again. Hold on. This is better. Moses. Oh, if you weren't here in church, you better get here next week because that was good. Woo, shout out to the production team. Holla, crazy. Dude, even left me speechless. It takes a lot. And he said, Moses, and, and typically like any other person would, he's like, uh, yes, here I am, Lord. Hmm? Moses, you looking for me? Burning bush, talking? Yep, this guy. And God went on to say, I've heard the cries of my people. I've heard their torment enslaved in Egypt and I'm going to, and you're going to go set them free. I'm giving you the paraphrase. And Moses said, mm, I think you missed the job fair because I'm actually a farmer, not a leader. Uh, I watch over sheep and not people, and I'm not going. And he said, mm, tell them that I am, that I am. I will give you all the tools you need, and you are going. And he said, but I'm not. I'm not a good speaker. You got the wrong guy. I can't even, I, I went to the school of people who couldn't think or read good. I'm not a good speaker. And God said, fine, I will send someone with you who is a good speaker. Take Aaron, but you are going. 
And what happened when that one person, when Moses had contact with God on a mountain, an entire nation was delivered because of the contact of one. Was it fun? No, it sucked. It was awful. Moses was like, I don't even want to do this. But I called you. Because our contact is going to affect everyone. What about the woman with the issue of blood in Matthew? I'm sorry, Mark, in chapter 5. The woman with the issue of blood. See, she was known not by her name. We don't even know her name. All we know is she was a woman with issues, and I'm not going to touch that joke with a 10-foot pole. Not even thinking about it. Men, I encourage you not to even think about it. Okay, we already thought about it. Too late. She wasn't, we didn't even know her name. All we knew is that she was a woman with issues. But what happened? And she said to herself and thought in her mind, if only I may touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. If only I can touch him. And what happened because of that? Jesus was walking along. He, he got a request from somebody. said, hey, my daughter is sick. Can we go? And when you lay hands on her, he said, yeah, sure, absolutely. Let's go. So Jesus is going along. You can follow along the screen with a verse. He's going along. The crowd is pressing in around him. The disciples are there, everybody. And she reaches out and touches him. And he stops and says, who touched me? And the disciples are like, you've got to be kidding me. You are in a mosh pit of five, 50 people right now. And you're worried about who touched you? I did, nobody knows. He said, no, 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 no. I know I, the, the power went out of me. Who touched me? And fearfully, the woman came up and said, I did for if I knew that if I could just touch the hem of your garment that I would be healed. And he said, it is according to your faith. Go away and be healed. And she was healed. She went from being the woman that was defined by her issues to being the woman who is defined by being made new. She used to have issues. She made contact with the king and she walked away healed. And I'm still 2,000 some years later telling the story of that woman that I don't even know her name. And you think that you being one person can't change the world? Daughter, what lie have you been told? Son, what trash have you listened to? Because I've put you into this world, God says, to make a difference. I've put you into this world to change it. To bring my joy and my love, not in religion, but in love. Still don't believe me? What about a guy named Saul? Ever hear about him? This dude was on the FBI, the, the Christ's FBI list of the most wanted because he just went around persecuting Christians. He was a religious dude. And there's some people in this place, you've been hurt by religion. I'm sorry. Christ is not religion. He's relationship. Don't hold him accountable for the things that man has done. Because there was a man that came into this world and set you free. And it, he didn't come to break your heart through religion. He say, came to set your heart free by relationship. There's some of us walking in a lot of wounds. There's somebody in this room who walked in here today. You were not going to come to church. You know who you are. I know who you are. You weren't going to come, but God brought you here today, and he wants you to know, I am not religion. I am your creator. I love you, and I've reached out for you, and that's why you're here. I don't know who you are. You know. Saul was walking on his way. He got the approval to be able to throw Christians in prison. He was literally on his way walking, riding to Damascus, and Jesus made contact. He said, Saul, 
Why are you persecuting me? Uh, excuse me? Was that you guys? No? Who are you? I'm Jesus, of whom you persecute. Saul, why are you persecuting me? You want to make it, you want to talk about a moment that will make you change your britches. Have you ever had a moment in your life when everything was just literally turned upside down, when you're like up was down and left was right and everything was confused? Ever sound like 2020? You ever have a moment in your life where you finally have a revelation and you realize, I have been so, so wrong. (sighs) This probably is going to end in a pillar of salt. But when Jesus shows up, he doesn't show up to destroy. He shows up to bring restoration. So yes, he put scales over Saul's eyes. And yes, he told Ananias, he sent, he sent him to Damascus. And Ananias had a dream. And God told him, he said, a man named Saul is going to come to you. And Ananias said, yeah, uh, just confirming real quick, uh, that appointment that you mentioned, is that with a guy who swears that he's going to take my head because I'm a Christian? Yes, it is. Okay. <laughs> Go on, what would you like me to do with him? He's my chosen. And because I've made contact with him, I'm going to affect all of eternity. When when Jesus makes contact with you, what happens? We talk about Joshua in in the battle of Jericho. Brother looked crazy walking around the walls and everybody was laughing until they were tumbling in free fall because the walls came down. Everything was all fun and games until that foundation started shaking on that seventh lap. You know what I'm talking about? It's interesting. Funny how many times people will mock you and mock what you're doing and mocking the vision that God has placed in your life. They can say whatever they want on social media. They can say whatever they want to everybody else because I'm about to make my seventh lap. Keep on talking. Enemy, keep on telling me I need to be focused and worry about COVID. Keep it up. I'm on lap five. Say whatever you got to say because it's all coming down. When there's transformation that takes place, when Moses made contact with God, a nation was delivered. When the woman with the issue met Jesus, she was made new. When Saul met Christ on the road to Damascus, a nation was delivered and continues to be delivered by the greatest pandemic the world has ever seen. It's time that we stop talking about the tragedy of what's taking place with COVID-19 and start talking about the majesty of the one whose affection can affect everything. Come on, you're starting to get it. It's time we stop talking about the, the mag- it's not time we start talking about the magnificence of the king and the power that he has instead of the maleficence of the situation. It's time that we start talking about the victory that God is bringing into it instead of the vices that the enemy has set. It's time that we start being an army that knows what to do with this weapon. Are you right if we go just a, just a little bit longer? I'm not the only one that has said, but I'm just one person. I'm just one. God, what do you want to do with me? What do you want to do with me? My dreams have seemingly died. Like, how in the world am I going to make a difference in this world, God? What can one person do? 
You know, I, I got to be honest. I had a moment about two weeks ago where I looked at everything that I was doing and I was like, this has to be a waste. Like, what am I doing? Am I even making an impact? Am I actually even helping anybody? It was just this constant dogging, constant just attack of nobody even listen. Nobody even listens to what you're doing. Nobody, you don't even have anything good to say to anybody. Why don't you just, you're wasting your time. You're wasting your money. You're wasting all that. And, it, and I almost listened to it until I had a revelation and a contact with the king. And he reminded me, Kinsley, you were never doing this for them. You were doing it for me because I asked you to. If they don't listen, it's not your fault. You're doing what I ask you to do. Being obedient is more important than anything. And you may say to yourself, what, what, but I'm just one person. How in the world? If one person didn't matter, then why did Jesus leave the 99 to find the one? The one does matter. You do matter. The transformation that God works in your life when you get into the love and the care and the affection of the king is able to transform the entire world and everybody you come in contact with. Can you imagine that? The reason why Jesus said the one person matters is because when one person gets a revelation of what it means to be created new in Christ, then he hands over all power of the kingdom and he says, use it. Use the weapons I've given you. Use the power I've given you. Use the authority I've given you. I've put you next to me. Come on, you're starting to get it. I put you next to me in the seat right next to the kingdom of the, of the most high God. I've given you the authority and the power. Use it. Because there's power in the one. When you've been transformed, truly, when you've had that intimate moment with the affection of God, the world will know. Not because of what you say, but because of your fruit. You know, Jesus talks about in, in Matthew chapter 7 about false prophets that you will recognize them by their fruit. He goes on to say, you can spot them by their actions for the fruit of their character will be obvious. You won't find sweet grapes hanging on a thorn bush and you're not going to pick good fruit from a tumbleweed. You will know them by the fruits of their actions. So if it is a good tree, it'll bear good fruit. If it is a bad tree, it will bear bad fruit. Some of us need to do some contact tracing on the fruit of our life. Some of us need to be start looking at the fruit and ask ourselves, if I've actually made contact with God, is there fruit of it in my life? I've given you three, five, no, five examples of people that when men, they made contact with Jesus, everybody around them in their world changed. We saw what's happened with a little minuscule, tiny, tiny uh, disease and virus. What would happen when we actually get a revelation of who Christ is in our life? And that, when we've, and that we've been made new, what would happen? But there's something that's actually really concerning is that we can say that we know God, but not actually know him. What happens when you know of God, but you're not actually transformed by him? I didn't actually, I was a Christian ever since I was like 11. I didn't meet him until 2000, what was it? 2006, September. At New Life Church at a worship service. I met Jesus first time. Because I saw these people that were just crazy in worship. And I thought two things, either one, they're demon possessed, or two, they know a Jesus that I don't. 
because they sure love this dude and I don't know who he is. I don't have that kind of love. There's a story in the Bible about the seven sons of Sceva. They knew of Jesus, but they didn't know him. If you know about Jesus, but you're not transformed on a daily basis by the affection of Jesus, you don't know him. What happens to those when you don't know him? Acts 19 tells us this. From the Passion Translation, it says, there are seven intimate Jewish exorcists, sons of, sons of Sceva, the high priest, who took it upon themselves to use the name and the authority of Jesus over those who were demonized. So you're talking about people. Now, you got to realize, um, it, it's a, a, demon possession is, was a thing. It is a thing. I mean, you can't believe in God and not believe in heaven and in, in angels and demons. I mean, you can't. It's not possible. So they went to the demons, and they said this amazing line. It was, it was amazing. They said, we cast you out in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches about. Carry the one. Two times. Paul. That Paul preaches. And the demon did pretty much what, what, what you would expect. He's like, whoa, 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 no, wait a minute. You cast me out in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches. Jesus, I know. Because he's limited in my time on earth. Paul, I know, because he's been transformed by him. But who the heck are you? And the demon went on to strip these sons of Sceva down, buck as naked, and beat them up and sent them out the door. And everybody was so afraid of what happened because the demons had just beat and brutalized them that it started a, a complete revelation and a revival in the land. What happens when you know of him, but you don't know him? There's one verse in the Bible that scares me. Truly. Terrifies me. In Matthew 7, it says this. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter into the realm of the heavens of kingdom. It is only those who persist in doing the will of my heavenly Father. On the day of judgment, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, don't you remember us? Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out the demons and do the miracles for the sake of your name? But I want you to read very closely to these next four words. But I will have to. Next five words. But I will have to say to them, Go away from me, you lawless rebels. Because I've never been joined to you. But I will have to say that. He will have to say, not because he wants to, not because you aren't good enough to make it into the club, but because by the law of heaven, he has no choice. This is the one thing that, that, that concerns him the most is that, he, that Jesus would look at you and, and he would have no choice but to say, I have to say it. I put you here for a reason. I wove you in your mother's wombs. I put you, I put you here for a reason and a purpose and power to make an effect on the world. 
I gave you all of the keys to my kingdom. I set you at the right hand, right with me. I gave you everything you needed, and I don't want to have to turn you away. But you never knew my affection. There's power when there's transformation and contact made with a king. We're going to roll this testimony of, of our children's pastor. An amazing testimony of what happens when God meets you where you're at. Nick. Luis Sanchez uh, was actually born in Lima, Peru. My dad was a cop down there, had some struggles with him whenever he put people into jail. Some of the people would come out of jail and then immediately try to come after him while in, in his home. And it'd be scary for my mom, scary for us because we were still newborn. So finally, after a while, um, grandparents told us, hey, you know, you should just move to the United States. Ended up taking a plane from Peru to the tip of South America. Parents walked three and a half months all the way to California, just to cross over the border that way. I've seen many God encounters. There was a lady who came out of nowhere and ended up helping us and helped us all the way through there. Let us stay at her house for about a week or so. Then after a while, my mom, she wanted to give my mom money and about almost a thousand dollars or so. My mom was like, no, there's no way I could take that. Uh, so as they were leaving, saying goodbyes and stuff like that, uh, get about maybe 100 miles down and, you know, start to actually start feeding us and stuff like that. Um, my mom looks in the bag, starts wailing and crying. My dad's like, oh my gosh, what's happening? What's happening? You know? And then she looks in there and, you know, here's a thousand dollars right in that bag. If it wasn't for that lady, you know, like I think we would have never actually, actually fully got to the United States and actually got here. Lived my life whole, all the way through here, raised as a Catholic, lived that whole Catholic experience. Anything Catholic was, I knew about it. After that, you know, hated God because I was just like, I hated the church, I hated all that kind of stuff, doing the whole religion thing, because I never thought that was that important to have to go put that much pressure on yourself to accept God or accept Jesus in that kind of way. Finally, I found a relationship with a girl here at the church when we used to be right behind Leonardo's. She ended up inviting me to church. We were doing a crave night. This first time I told myself, okay, I'm gonna go into the church. I'm gonna actually try to enjoy it. I'm try to experience it the way that she's experiencing it. And I was just like in it. There was one part where they said, hey, raise up your hand if you wanna accept God and accept God in your heart. And I did. I got into youth immediately. You know, I jumped into leadership and I tried to jump into it as much as I could. I love dealing with kids who are gonna become our future or maybe become doctors, maybe come up with a cure on something. I love pouring into someone, knowing that, hey, these kids can be something better than what the world tries to tell them they can't be. I think for me, my biggest thing as a children's administrator, what I want to do is I want to partner with parents and I want to partner with them to show them, like, listen, church doesn't have to be boring. <laughs> Ministry doesn't have to be boring. Um, it can be exciting and, you know, your children can come here to the church and love it and you can be like, wow, I don't got to worry about my kids. I know they're being taken care of back there. I know they're learning about God. I know they're learning about Jesus more and more each and every single day. One thing I told my students when I was in small group, I told them, I was like, you if you've ever looked at um, a pipe in a, you know, in a sink or anything like that, you turn the water on and, you know, you have the drain in it and you have that tubing in it, all that water immediately goes to a place of where, you know, it pours out either the sewer or wherever. Um, but without that elbow piece, without that pipe, 
it would just immediately, when you turn the water on, it would drop everywhere on the ground. I think sometimes the people that you surround yourself with, the people you're around, those people become, in a way, a vessel or a, a connection to, towards God. If I'm connected to God as much as I can be, I'm going to be able to pour out on somebody who's not connected to God. You know what I mean? I'm going to be able to connect somebody with the flowing river water that God has provided for you to give you, you know, whatever you can. Yeah, yeah. If you've ever met Louis, Louise, as I call him, there's one thing you will notice more than his perfectly flopped hair and his gorgeous smile is you will actually encounter Jesus with every interaction with that man. I've never met somebody that in just five minutes you can feel so loved. You can feel like the most important person in the world. Whatever was on your mind just melts away. When you get in the presence of somebody who has been in the presence of the one. You know, I ask you, What happens if we're if we find out that we didn't actually know him? What happens if you've known about Jesus and you've heard his name and you know his name and you've said the prayers and you come to church, but deep down in the darkest corner of the place that only he and you know, you realize that you don't actually know his affection. That the fruit in your life isn't world-changing at times. It's underwhelming at best. All it takes is one step back. You know, the last verse, if you will stand to your feet, I ask God this. I say, God, how can this be possible? How could this be possible that I or anyone could serve you all the number of our days and in our heart of hearts think that everything is good and think that all and see all the great things and great all the great works that we've done in, in your in your mighty name? How is it how is it possible that me or my children or my family or my children's children could get to the end of our life on this earth only find out we had it wrong? How? That terrifies me. And he reminded me of this verse in Revelations 2, the verse we started with. He said, it can happen because, because I can see your works and I can see your labor and I can see your patience. And I can see your fight against evil. I can see that you test those who come in the name of Jesus but are liars. I can see that you've preserved in patience and that you have labored in my name's sake and not become weary. But nevertheless, you forgot the passionate love that we first had. Don't make him take the lampshade from our life.
If there is ever a moment, I'm going to ask the team to sing this over you and around you and through you and just take a moment. And if there has ever been a moment in your life in the craziest year in history as I've ever known it, then we need to throw off our cares about the person next to us or whether somebody is looking at us or what somebody thinks. This is your moment to meet the affection of the one who wove you and created you perfect and sees the most perfect, loving human being he's ever made. He, He could have put you in all of the years and all of eternity. He could have put you 2,000 years ago, but he needed you today in this moment, not 10 years ago. He needed you here now in this moment because there's a world that needs to see the effect of him in your life and his effect to go across the world. As my team sings this over you, if that's you and you say, I have lost my first love, I'm going to ask you to come to the altar. And if you need to pray with the team, pray with the team. But more than anything, have a moment with your king. Have a moment with the one, the love that's never left you. Thanks again for listening. We hope that this message inspires, challenges, and fuels you up to take a real Jesus to a real world. If you'd like to connect with us in any way, please go to harvestinacom connect. Or if you'd like to learn more about us as a church, please go and check us out at harvestinacom We can't wait to share another message with you next week.